0: This is the Future of HR podcast, episode 37.
1: Transparency fosters trust. We owe it. I truly believe that we have an obligation to colleagues and employees in our companies to be open about how those processes work. If that is the system that we are using to incentivize you, drive compensation, drive future role and career changes and promotions we have an obligation to be open and transparent about what that process looks like.
0: Why is transparency so important to building a culture of trust? How can HR enable a culture of transparency? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast. The only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Well, if you've been listening to the podcast over the past few weeks, then you know I'm pretty excited about Mark Efron's Future of HR workshop, which is coming to Boston on September 19th. What makes this a workshop and not a conference is the fact that seven world-class CHROs will be leading highly interactive conversations with the 100 HR leaders that are in attendance. These workshops are a chance to learn from the best, debate ideas, and tackle the big challenges facing our field. Tickets are going fast for the event, so be sure to visit futureofhr2023, that's futureofhr2023.com before the event is sold out. And this week, we're lucky to have one of those world-class CHROs as a guest on the podcast. My guest this week is Sam Hammock, EVP and CHRO Verizon. Verizon, which you probably know, is number 23 in the Fortune 500 list with over $136 billion in revenue. It's an iconic company, and Sam and her team are responsible for unlocking the full potential of Verizon's workforce of 117000 Before being promoted to CHRO, Sam was Senior Vice President of Global Talent for Verizon, leading the HR Talent Center of Excellence. Prior to Verizon, she spent 14 years at American Express in various executive roles from finance and banking to leadership positions in HR. I know you'll get a lot out of this conversation as Sam and I discussed, why she believes you can build a career while being remote, her advice on how to be intentional with your networking, the importance of transparency in building a culture of trust, how Verizon is building transparency in their talent systems, and why career conversations are the most important part of the performance management process, and much more. Sam, welcome to the Future of HR. How are you?
1: Fantastic. How are you today?
0: I'm doing great. Excited for our conversation. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And my first question, I wanted to kick it off and talk about early in your career, and maybe people know this, maybe they don't, you actually weren't working in HR at all. And so I'm interested to talk a little bit more about how you discovered HR and the moment when you knew.
1: Yeah, I was not planning on going to HR. And in fact, when I was asked to go, I was almost offended. And so to take you back a little bit on the journey, I came from a super humble working class family in Southwest Michigan and farmland. Um, but college originally wasn't talked about in my area. It wasn't something that really many went to do. Certainly no one in my family had gone. And so when the opportunity presented itself, um, and I ended up going through some some teachers and quite frankly, my athletic coaches who really urged me to do that. And it was a pivotal moment in my life. And went to school and I thought, okay, I just need to make money like most people. And so I studied finance and pre-law, thinking that would be a really good approach. But I ended up getting out of college and took a job with Ernst Young in accounting. So I did accounting and finance for the first few years of my career. Starting out with my first six years with J.P. Morgan Chase through a couple of different acquisitions. Then I moved over to American Express for 15 years, and there again I started again in, in an accounting role. Spent time in the banking function division there. Spent time in the banking side of product management, which I thought was super cool, really dynamic work. And then in 2009, with the coming out of the financial crisis with American Express, they asked me if I would take on a project to really think through compliance training, which was fun at the time. And so I did it. And then after the project, they were like, maybe we should move have you into HR. And I thought, no, like I, I felt like I'm such a business person, but I did it anyway. And it took off from there and I've never looked back.
0: That's an incredible story. And when you finally got into HR, did you feel like it was home or did you feel like you were more of a business person that does HR?
1: Well, the the first part of my HR experience for, for many years was really on the learning and development side. And for me, JP, it did click right away. Like I loved it. I loved seeing how, what an impact on the business it made? And I truly started to form, you know, through all the data that we now know, right? Like Business is completely driven through people. And our impact to have that strategic lens and set strategic imperatives that how, on people, specifically like learning skills, how we think about the training development to build capabilities that we know are needed for future delivery. Oh, I was hooked. And there was no way I was going back.
0: Yeah, it's a great field. It, but I think your business background and the finance background probably really could be very helpful, especially as you progress. Yeah. Right. Because we have to speak the language of business and we have to look at for the lens of the business. And I think that's where HR gets in trouble if it's just HR for HR. I, I
1: totally agree. Right. And, and HR should be run as a business. It itself should be run as a business. And so I feel like the, that kind of background perspective and how we come to the table as strategic partners for everything else is really key.
0: Well, you joined Verizon during the pandemic after an almost 15-year career at American Express, obviously an incredible run, incredible company, to join an incredible company, of course. But for you, this was a pretty big career move. And I wonder if you could walk us through how you're thinking about career transitions, especially in the middle of the pandemic, and what advice you may have for next-gen HR leaders as they think about their career moves
1: it was a big move because I have nothing but the most brilliant things to say about American Express. I am a huge admirer of the company and the culture, uh, the business model, et cetera. And I loved my time and I was having an, an amazing career, right? I was, I was progressing. Um, I was given new challenges. Um, but I did come to a point when you know the call comes and it truly had me thinking about Gosh, should I consider moving? And it did feel pretty risky uh, for for me and my family at the time. I was doing okay, but that was actually when I realized when I, those words came out of my mouth, that's when I realized, okay, I'm not. I, I I realized I was just really comfortable. I was really comfortable, and I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want to. Feel, I, I wanted the challenge. I wanted to learn a brand new industry. I wanted, you know, a different scope and scale of the work and new experiences. And so I talk about this a lot in in a journey of a career. Like you should be really after collecting new experiences, and that's when I decided, yep, it's time to make the jump.
0: I couldn't agree more about collecting experiences and the fact that if you start to get too comfortable, it may be time to make the move, right? Because sometimes you almost have to just throw yourself in the deep end and yeah. go for it. And that's really, really important. One, one piece of common career advice that people might say is you can't build a career while being remote, a topic that's very timely now as a lot of companies are moving back to hybrid or maybe even an office, yet you don't agree with that advice. Why is yeah. that?
1: I feel very strongly about this, that the notion of embracing remote and or hybrid hybrid work even better. One, it just makes talent sense. To find the best talent, we have to be willing to meet people where they are. I was just looking at data that more than ever, people are declining big promotions because it required a relocation and they're not willing to anymore. People have really reset priorities and what they're willing to sacrifice. And the thing at the top of the list that they are unwilling to is now family coming out of the pandemic. And for me, that 15 years at American Express, and I had an g- amazing career. I didn't move. I was based out of Salt Lake City. The heartbeat was in Manhattan. Now I traveled when I needed to, but you know, certainly not every week. Certainly not even every other week. And for me, and I find this coming out of the pandemic, and especially now as people are truly continuing to embrace hybrid and distributed teams and work workforces. It's all about continuing the networking. And I think this is the hardest piece about hybrid work and remote work that we have to continue to figure out how we build the muscle on is being intentional with networking, right? It's not like you're passing each other in the hallways. You're not in the line in the cafeteria anymore where you really have those organic moments. Now you have to manufacture them. And that takes work. And so the the biggest thing I say is, no, it's not impossible. It's not impossible to have a really successful career that you continue to progress. And it's certainly not impossible to get exposure, which we know are big pieces of feedback that people always get. You just have to be really intentional about it. And I'm also not a fan of the whole, like, let's have a coffee chat to meet somebody. Be intentional with someone's time. And so I have made it a great practice that, you know, people care about what you do. So And then they also, people love to share their own opinion on things, right? Reach out with an intentional reason to meet someone and connect with them. Use your work or their work to bridge that connection and build the exposure. But it can be done.
0: It's great advice. So if someone's going to reach out and say, I really want to get to have a coffee with this person and get to know them, your advice is come in with an agenda, something that you want to learn in that conversation, something that that person may learn from you, so it's a value add versus can I just meet? And I totally agree.
1: So totally. And, I, and I always say, like for example, I get lots of requests to just meet, right? And sometimes a lot of them do say, can I just have a meet and greet? Can I do a coffee chat? My advice would be if you want to, there's a million things I'm interested in hearing, right? Reach out to me and say, hey, I want to give you some feedback on the onboarding process. I have an idea for you on how to, in- to improve the intern experience, right? There's a million topics that touch HR, come and give me input, give me feedback and input. Like those are things I think you can connect to any leader on and they want to hear how to make things better.
0: Absolutely. I think your ideas were were brilliant around remote work. What do you think about in terms of how do you highlight your work? How should they be thinking about promoting themselves, frankly, when they are remote, that they are making progress and adding value? Yeah. I think there's like a few tactical tricks
1: that could be in here. One is we've got to get over this notion of, we don't want to feel like we're bragging or patting our own back. And some of that is actually okay. And some of that's really, truly needed, right? We have to be able to talk about it. But there is a line of, you know, when you can be, too, you need to have that balance of how to do it in the right way. And, you know, sometimes it's not rocket science and sometimes it's not new in terms of what's been good for decades. You know, one thing that someone that is on my team does for me, and I was like, it's so simple and I love it, is every single Friday uh, or when they're ending their week, right, they send me a really quick recap. There's no decks. There's no nothing. Hey, here's some of the things that I said I was going to get done this week. Here's the quick status, right? But it just keeps it. They made it so it's routine. So it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just bragging this one time it feels like it's actually part of the way they work. It's how they operate and how they communicate with me and or their peers, right? Because sometimes it goes out to the leadership team. It feels like normal practice, but we always know the stuff they're on top of, what's working, innovation that's on the horizon in their function, and a very simple action that actually really gets the message out for multiple facets.
0: That's a great pro tip for anyone who's working remotely or managing teams remotely or has your boss being remote, it's a great idea. And it takes discipline, but I agree those emails are very helpful. Well, you know, a lot of companies, Sam, are mandating a return to the office. We're seeing that more and more. But Verizon's taking a different approach. Can you tell us more about Verizon's approach and the thinking that went into that? Yeah.
1: So what we didn't do different from anybody else is really we have three pillars of the workforce, right? Your true home base, right? True home base, work from home. We have a bucket for hybrid, right? Who should be spending time in the office and spending time at home when needed for flexibility reasons? And then who's truly always on site? And at Verizon, we have people in all of those categories. We have a really big chunk that is always on site that never went home during COVID, right? We have our amazing folks and technicians that are in the field, that are in homes, that are, you know, on poles on the ground every single day. And then we have a massive amount of our workforce who is doing an amazing job serving and selling to our customers in the stores, right? They're always there. And then we have what's kind of the middle population, which I think this is, let's be real, right? It's not the two categories that we're worried about, people who are already working from home and continue to work from home. It's really this hybrid who pre pandemic were probably used to five full days a week in the office, and there was no other real norm. Sure, we had flexibility when you needed it every once in a while, but it was a rare exception if you were going to work from home, right? Maybe a random Friday afternoon in the summer kind of thing. And for us, as we've seen a lot of companies do over the last year, year and a half, we have made an active choice not to be super rigid with a mandate meaning we have still not come out with something that says you will be in the office 3 days a week and here are the 3 days but we have leaned into pretty disciplined approach of what we expect right we do expect that hybrid means like a balance Of your time, right? That when you can work at home versus versus for the team needs, and when you should be in the office for collaboration, for working sessions, for those things that it really matters. But it also matters for people to learn, right? When we're with each other. And so instead, we've just set the tone of where we find value, really trying to make sure that our offices feel like a magnet and not a mandate and creating those moments where we have the sense of belonging. It's really where we leverage those moments of working and coming together. And what we're finding specifically, there's been a shift over the last six months. People are asking for more of it. They're actually looking for reasons to come in. Now they don't want to come in and be alone. That's, a big thing. Cause then it just feels like, you know, a creepy ghost town, <laughs> but you want you want to come in when people are around and the people are loving that energy. And so we've actually started with the leaders and said, Hey, if you're in your people will follow, they want that exposure to you. And so it's worked, it's worked pretty well for us. And the other thing is I don't want to put a mandate out because then people might only come in on those days. Right. And what if they really love Mondays? And we didn't say, we said Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, And also, to be honest, I don't see a lot of those mandates working.
0: I think it's a smart approach. And I agree with you on the mandate when you think about it's kind of compliance versus commitment. And I think we're going the wrong direction for a lot of companies. And I don't think it's a great look by leaders when we're saying you have to be back in the office, you know, versus saying, look, this is like you said, these are kind of the ground rules, the guidelines, why we're doing it and having leaders take the lead makes a lot of sense. Um, Because when I have my experience, when I dig in and people, why they don't want to come in the office, it's usually at the commute because they're giving up something around the personal life or it's impacting something they've gotten used to and maybe how they pick their kids up now and that flexibility or it's a two hour commute time. So I want to go in the office, but I don't want to go waste two hours on a train, you know, kind of thing. So I love how you're doing that. I really appreciate you sharing that. I know obviously being Verizon, it's always hard to sort of share what you're thinking about it, but it sounds like you guys have been very intentional um, how you're thinking about that philosophy of return. Yeah, yeah.
1: We love people in the office, office, but I, I, um, I also think, because I completely agree with all of your points on, are we, are we doing the wrong thing and pushing the wrong things? And, you know, one big thing on my mind is creating a culture of trust. And that's really important. And I think you can see, I think that's a big principle in mandates or no mandates and things like that.
0: And look, in all fairness, every HR leader is listening to this. There's lots of debates, and we'll be debating whether hybrid and office and fully remote. Probably the rest of our careers, this is the new performance management in my mind. But when I really think about it, it's driven by your CEO and your leadership team, and they're making that call, and that's going to be what's right for their business. And so I understand we have to make conform to that, and, but I appreciate the way you're thinking about it. And I think the trust is an important piece. You're also a big believer in transparency, With employees and the importance of being transparent. And I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit more around why that's important to you and how you're bringing this to life with your internal talent marketplace. I think it's really progressive. Well, one of the
1: big reasons is because I think transparency fosters trust, just very simply. And the more open that we can be with our employees about for example, our talent systems. And when I say talent systems, it's, you know, we're all graded, right? So to pretend that we don't know that's happening is crazy. It's like you just said, it's the new performance management. We'll never stop talking about performance management either. But this is an easy example for me when I talk about transparency is we owe it. I truly believe that we have an obligation to colleagues and employees in our companies to be open about how those processes work. If that is the system that we are using to incentivize you, drive compensation, drive future role and career changes and promotions, we have an obligation to be open and transparent about what that process looks like. You know, what percentage is going in? Are you using forced ranking? Are you not? How is it driving your compensation? To what degree, right? Where does the manager have discretion on what they're using? What do these really mean about, you know, all the things we use it for cuz it's also not just career changes there could it could be used for development opportunities right who are we picking and do and i feel very strongly having that open transparency with your employee base on systems like that on programs etc creates a trust um, and i'm really big believer on setting the right expectations and i think this is something that we fail at often And it does everyone a disservice, right? The company, the leaders, and the employees when we don't have that. So that's just a a tiny snippet, but that feeds through the rest of my beliefs around transparency.
0: You're so right that transparency really builds that trust. And I think we struggle with this, right? And a lot of HR people probably feel like you do. And I think you so eloquently stated why we should be more transparent. So people understand the rules of the game and how to play and can opt in or opt out. So I love what you're doing there. And it sounds like you guys are doing some really interesting things, trying to be more transparent about career pathing and really all facets of the talent
1: Yeah, and and it's interesting. The number one reason, and and I think this cuts across most companies, that people will tell you they left the company in exit surveys, is it's either your number one or two reason is career progression. And it's not because they didn't get promoted. It's because they didn't have the visibility of what it would take or how to get to the next level or another role. And so for me, that's transparency. And so one of the things that we have is what we call talent GPS. It's not rocket science. Like anybody could go out and and do this somewhat simply without over-engineering it. We have 2,100 different role types at Verizon for 120,000 of our V Teamers. And what we did is we created a microsite and we put out there every single job profile of the 2100 jobs. And you can go in and look. You can look who in the company sits in each one of those, how many people are tied to each role, where those roles sit, what skills you need to get the job. That little piece alone was a game changer for us. And people saying, oh, now I see what some of these different paths are and what it would take for me to be even considered for that type of role. And then it deep links into the development so they can go and own their own training
0: needs for it. What's your advice for HR leaders you know, who want the organization and leaders to be more transparent? How did you bring the executive team along in this journey? Or were you just very lucky that you've got really engaged, enlightened leaders at Verizon? And I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> but all of us still have a journey to go on. So I'm interested, how did that take place?
1: Well, definitely I'm lucky. I have an amazing leadership team that surrounds me. So, I, so we'll start there, but that's never enough. One, there's a lot of data that shows how this will change the culture and what that impact will be. And at the end of the day, the better you treat your employees, the better they, they'll treat your customers. We see that data all the time, right? Those two experiences absolutely correlate. And we're transparent with our customers on everything, right? It's a business principle of ours. And so that certainly resonates with the leaders to start to get that through. And the other thing I would say, just to be clear, I don't mean reckless transparency, Right. So I'm not saying be reckless with information and it doesn't mean being brutal. And so for us, we have nine leadership principles. And it's important that, you know, transparency is is surrounded by those nine principles. Right. Meaning we need to do it the right way. Right. So with respect and inclusion and kindness and a sense of belonging, all that stuff. Um, But but for us, it was really starting slow, starting slow, being really clear with expectations and quite frankly, you know, giving a little bit of a playbook on that. So it can be a little nerve wracking for leaders who maybe have felt like, no, we're supposed to hold stuff back and then changing into a more open sense of conversation and dialogue. And what most people found is, gosh, one, it was actually easier to have real talk, right? You didn't feel like so guarded and scripted. And two, the reception Of the feedback and or the input from the employee was a lot of gratitude. Like, thank you. Thank you for finally Mm. being honest with me. Thank you for telling me how it's really working. And at least now I know and I can figure out how to navigate.
0: I know you also really are been focused on and I think one of our biggest challenges and talent sometimes is not setting clear expectations with people. How else do you think HR and organizations need to get better at setting clear expectations or opportunities for us to think about this maybe differently? Because it's one that we all struggle with as HR leaders of how can we get all of our leaders and the goals aligned and what good looks like here and do that in the right way. It
1: remains a challenge for us here at Verizon, but I think to your point, it remains a challenge for most of us, right? And this is where I think leaders have really good uh, intentions, but sometimes the good intentions are not done with that level of transparency that people really need to set the right expectation. And so I'll paint a little picture, but we've probably all been there where someone amazingly high performer on your team probably comes to you and tells you that they're going to be leaving and you're a little blown away. And then you ask them why? And they're like, well, I didn't get the promo or I thought I was going to be an X role. And in your head, you're like, I never would have seen you in that, but we never had the conversation. And so they were given an expectation that they thought they could be. And instead of us having a candid conversation on, oh, my gosh, we're going to continue to recognize you in this role or this path. um, And we set a, a wrong expectation by not having that level of transparency that made them feel recognized and valued in what they were already doing and or in a different direction. And so once someone gets that seed planted in their head, right, of where they think they can go, if there's no conversation that happens around it, it's really hard to unwind it. And so for us, one of the practices about doing this the right way really does have to do with your overall talent management process and the systems that go along with this. So how are you having those conversations? How do you have a process for performance management. And when I say performance management, by the way, like it is far bigger than ratings. And I think that's something that people get caught up on is, oh, I did performance management. I assigned a rating. That is one small and quite frankly, not even the most important piece of performance management. And so the expectations are really unfolded in that entire ecosystem.
0: What do you think is the most important part of performance management?
1: I think it's the real conversations around the talent development, and career conversations with your employee. And this is not something that only happens two times a year, right? Or, you know, you get in the January and you're like, okay, go ahead and do goal setting and then put your development plan. And then you get all the way to the end of the year and then you give them a rating, right? I think that's the mistake people make because literally they think of that's the entire process. And it should be a red thread that's carried through the entire thing with real-time coaching and feedback and career conversations along the way. And we forget that important stuff.
0: Absolutely. And I understand everyone's busy, but when I hear I don't have time to meet with my team, I'm like, well, then you're not managing your team. You're not developing your team. Like, what do you mean you're not meeting with your team? Like, you're not having one on ones ever? I'm just blown away by that. Well, then how are you getting your job done? Because you must be failing if you're not talking to them. And so I think HR's role is to continue to talk about that's what performance management is. To your point, it's the full cycle all the way through compensation, starting a goal setting, but are you checking in on a monthly basis? I know we do twice a year, and maybe we make that more formal so we can track it. But please, managers, come on. I, Once a month? I, How hard is this? Oh, my,
1: you are speaking my my love language here. I was just talking about yesterday in a different session with my team about leadership hygiene, right? It has not changed over the decades. We all want to talk about new buzzwords and new frameworks or concepts for leadership, and that's wonderful, and it will continue to transform and innovate. But true, great leadership hygiene really doesn't change. And we were talking about exactly what you just said. Come on, you should be having staff meetings. You should be having one-on-ones. You should be doing skip levels. Like, you don't just not do them. (laughs)
0: Right. Sam, last question for you. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years?
1: You can handle a hell of a lot more disruption than you think you can. And I think as HR people, um, now it doesn't, again, it does not mean be reckless, right? There is such a thing as too much change and fatigue and proper change management and planning. But a lot of times we talk ourselves out of ideas before we even let them be brainstormed. Because we think, oh, that's going to be too much work. Oh, it's going to be too big of a deal. And sometimes we forget, like, no, it's the impact that actually needs to happen. And we fill ourselves and hire brilliant people at all of our companies every single day. And their ability to adapt and be agile with change is tremendous. And so I feel like we should remember that, that we can handle more disruption than we think we can. And we should continue to explore it before we kill ideas, before they even get off the ground.
0: I love that, Sam. So inspirational. HR can do more and accomplish more than we even know. We should go for it. Thank you so much for being on the Future of HR podcast and sharing your wisdom. Terrific conversation.
1: My pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Sam for sharing her story. And inspiring us to think about how we can build a culture of trust and transparency. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you enjoyed this episode of Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and share our podcast with at least one other person. This really helps us grow the podcast and helps us with our mission of inspiring the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace, Managing Partner of the Leadership Forum and author of You Can't Know It All, Leading in the Age of Digital Expertise. In our conversation, Wanda and I go deep into how leaders develop from experts into what she calls spanning leaders. This is an insightful conversation full of actions that will help you and your organization to build better leaders. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.